0: There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today.
1: The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome to Net Zero Carbon, the show here at FreightWaves, where we deep dive on sustainability through a lens of freight, fuels, and efficiency. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Tom Moore, a fellow Franklin, Tennessee native and serial entrepreneur. Tom, thanks for joining.
0: Always great to, to be on camera and help people with a uh, uh, really pressing and important problem.
1: Well, this definitely is one, and I'm excited for you to share a lot of your insights and experiences just, uh, from the multiple companies that you've operated in the industry and your your deep industry expertise. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a flavor for who you are and what you do? Oh.
0: Well, As you can probably gather, I'm originally a New Zealander, which is very much a a, a strange thing around here in, in the United States. I've started three separate companies, and the three separate companies really all have something in common. That's optimization. It's solving a particular problem that no one else has been able to solve. And so we've focused on three areas. One, load building and load optimization, which has a great sustainability play. On smoothing across the network, we call level loading, uh, which is also a great sustainability play. And lastly, uh, auto scheduler, which is the uh, making the warehouse more efficient. And even there you say, well, what's the sustainability play there? But we, we can talk about that a little later. And, and I got some great examples of, of how we've significantly improved the operations and saved a lot of carbon. I'm
1: counting on it. I, I live for real-life examples when we get into this space that often, as you know, feels very ethereal, It feels very squishy. It can be vague and gray at times because carbon essentially is an invisible gas. And the focus on carbon is not always... Um, and it often takes too much of our attention and resources away because there's so much else in the enterprise that needs to be dealt with sustainably. So I look forward to some of those examples. Can you... Um,
0: list each of the companies? I know you talked a little bit about some of the the
1: focal points of each of those, but what are the three
0: themselves? Transportation warehouse optimization is the load building and optimization tool that actually gets more stuff on fewer trucks. Um, very proud to say they have eliminated 88,000 truck journeys last year, which is good from a cost perspective, but also good from a sustainability perspective. Second, uh, auto scheduler, which is the scheduling of the the things in the warehouse. And lastly, the company that's newest is Provision AI, which has a product called Level Load, which smooths out across the whole network. Is it unfair to ask the question, which one's your favorite? Is that like asking which child is a favorite? You know, um, it's always fun to see something shiny and new. And level load is shiny and new, and it's getting a lot of good press currently. What is probably uh, more worthwhile, as we talk about the benefits to companies and the benefits for the, to the environment, is probably to go back to the company that we started first, and that was uh, working on truckload building. So, which when was, was my favorite? <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> answer none. Uh, they're they're all all. Um, All all children of God, you know?
1: Spoken like a proud parent. I love it. Um, You said back to the beginning, how long have you been in and around this game? I know you're an industry veteran, but what's the order of operations of those companies? And was there, is there a natural progression to each of those? Like, did one kind of lead into an idea through a customer for the other? Or how are they connected?
0: Everything we've done has been driven by ideas from customers. Mm -hmm. 31 years ago, we started with the Procter & Gamble company and they said, how do we pick cases and load trucks so we don't damage as much stuff as we are? We've got, you know, increasing turnover of, of um, people in the warehouse. We want to have a operation that, that enables everybody to pick cases, stack them in a, in a neat way. They fit in the truck, they get und- get to the location undamaged. And, and that's that's the first order of operation. We solved that problem. The benefits there are really quite substantial. Number one, we eliminated damage by, depending on who you talk to, somewhere between 50 and 75%. That means a lot less stuff went into a landfill. The second uh, piece of that is, is because we knew and how, knew how to, to stack all the product and get it into a truck, we were able to go back to the various customers of, of well, proctor was able to go back to its customers and say, hey guys, uh, instead of ordering this much to get best price, you're now going to order this much to get best price. Why? Because they had a consistent, repeatable process that our software had uh, engendered in the system. But when we then realized, hold on, <coughs> we're waiting for things to come down to the warehouse. What if we get ahead of them and go up front and say, how do we design this load up front so we best manages the capacity of the truck. That way we can use yet fewer trucks. And that's pretty much how we've built the load optimization tool. So that was the first thing 30 years ago to, to, to maybe 20 years ago. But as you know, with software, you never stand still. You're constantly replacing, fixing, changing, rewriting. Okay. Um, the next was, uh, again, a Procter & Gamble uh, thing. We sat in a room uh, three of us and said, Hey, we've got a problem here. And the problem is that we have folks working in the warehouse and that warehouse, um, is being guided by the, by, by basically two people on each shift and they're looking to see what truck we're going to unload, what truck we're going to load, how we're going to operate picking and all the other components in the warehouse. And they said, wouldn't it be great if we could systematize that? And by doing that, we could generate a better plan. Out, we developed the better plan, and that's called Auto Scheduler. <clears throat> and, and so that was the, the, the genesis of Auto Scheduler. We started it out with PNG. God bless them. They're really a, a great company to work with. The last company um, was started based on the first one, which was we're doing load optimization. The client comes to me and says, This is great. But you know, I get challenged. Sometimes the deployment system tells me I need to move two trucks from this location to, to a warehouse. The next day they come back and say they need 20. He says, I don't know how to manage that. Uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's really a huge challenge. Uh, could you do something that would would help us reduce that fluctuation, but at the same time make sure that, that the the whole customer service piece is not thrown to the wind? I mean, you could easily just say, oh, we're just going to push everything down and make it, you know, nine trucks a day, we're done. You know, but that's not the way the world operates. Uh, we want to make sure that the customer gets his 98, 99% service rate. And so we had to incorporate a lot of technology to make that happen. <clears throat> the sustainability side on that one, by the way, is quite interesting. And we'll talk about that a little later. So when I think about that progression,
1: at each point, there's a metric you mentioned that's efficiency metric. I'd love you to pull out the sustainability and the profitability metric and try and link those two together. Does that make sense? So we tell people, hey, we're going to load trucks better. Okay. Fewer truckload costs. We're saving money on that. Customers are receiving more. They're saving money there. Fewer carbon emissions as the truck goes down the road.
0: That one's the easy one, right? Hey, when you get to the warehouse, you say, well, hold on. What is it about the warehouse that, you know, you can make more efficient? Well, if we can load a truck in one door and, and cross dock the the product from the door next door, then you're going to save a lot of travel time. We calculated in one warehouse in Southern California, they saved over the period of a week enough enough travel that it saved a forklift driving the distance between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Yeah, when you think about that, there's 400 and something miles of Forklift travel that we eliminated—that
1: explains now, the traffic on that highway when you get the forklift going down the road. People trying to get around, yeah, it's,
0: it's really slow. Uh, uh, seven <laughs> miles an hour is not
1: not not going <laughs> to not safe either. That's fascinating, though. That's it. That's a good visual because that's
0: that's what? drastic. And, and you know, it, it turns into money as well. So let's be clear. I mean, most companies would say, "Well, I don't care about the sustainability piece of that." You know, that's for the quote tree huggers. Uh, but the reality of the situation is it's good for everybody. It's good for the people who are driving and working. It's good for the, 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 uh, the environment and it's good for the company. So you know, it's, a, it's a win-win-win. That's a great one. What's fascinating in the world
1: that I live in all the time, when we're talking about sustainability, everybody wants to measure, everybody wants KPI, everybody wants you to disclose everything today. A lot of these are, are hidden within specific uh, you know, P&L or balance sheet line items in companies, right? Because we're not tracking in many cases, or at least we didn't used to, total miles per forklift per shift per where- by each warehouse, right? And then measuring that over time to gauge like improvements and efficiencies. Where do you see some of those more hidden metrics coming at play in like optimizing for sustainability in a, in a facility?
0: You know, it's, it's really difficult to put the finger on, as you've pointed out. M- metrics are a challenging thing. People tend to think of you know, cases shipped per man hour, something along those lines. And, and that's the metric to which we need to to operate. Having said that, we're trying to introduce some new metrics. A metric, for example, that talks about what percentage of interleaving are we doing, where interleaving means you go one direction loaded and you come back from the same area loaded as well. So the forks are always full. Uh, we did a study some years ago in a, in a manufacturing facility, and when we, we looked at the data, we came back and said, hold oh, on, these, these, this can't be right. That, that says the, the forklifts are only f- running 22% full. And they go, well, yes, right. We did an industrial engineering study, and we came up with about the same number. So um, we understand the, the value of, of really trying to maximize the interleaving Maximizing the crop stocking, minimizing the the time that we spend traveling to and from the rack. Where you know, if you place a truck in in door one and all the products located next to door one hundred, uh, you're going to be doing a lot of travel in the warehouse. So if we can make that much more finite, where door one is has all the product, then you're in a much better situation uh, in terms of total driving uh, around the warehouse. So v- very valuable. That yeah, makes sense intuitively. Are there
1: principles that can be applied kind of to any facility in that example? Because I imagine that so many warehouses are are unique to the type of freight that, or the type of product that's going in and out, to the type of customer or customers that operate the space, to the 4PL or 3PL that's doing it. What are the like, through-line principles for efficiency in that space?
0: You know, it's very difficult to say that because you're right. A, a CPG Warehouse, which is the ones we're most familiar with, um, they have one set of metrics. You go to a, a company that's doing pick-pack, like a, an Amazon kind of warehouse, completely different set of metrics. Um, you know, maybe for them it's in terms of sustainability, how many hours a day do they run all that 10,000 miles of conveyor they have in the building, etc. So... There's a lot of, lot, lot of pieces here, okay? Um, I, I do want to go back to the level loading piece if we can. Is that permissible yeah. at this point? Yeah, okay. absolutely. You know, one of the things about level loading, and, and if you think about the whole network, you know, if you level load one, one, ro- one node, for example, one lane from origin to destination, that, that's a big win, okay? And let's talk about what that win means. For the carrier, you know, if you can predictably know that you're going to get you know somewhere between five and seven loads a, a day on that lane, then you can position your equipment in such a way that you're doing a lot less dead miles. Right? If it, instead of doing the two to the to uh, twenty um, on on the day you can do two, you've probably got a whole bunch of equipment in the area you don't need, and so you've got to move it somewhere else and when you get to the 20 you just simply can't do it uh, and and you go and, and and the back to the company and say hey company you need to go and find five other carriers to to handle the 10 loads that i can't handle so r- real distinct advantage from a from a sustainability perspective for the carrier the problem is the metric doesn't flow back immediately to the company right the company just sees that hey the <laughs> I, I get the carrier I want most of the time. We we, we did a project where well, we we're doing a, uh, an implementation and, and running for a large paper company called Kimberly-Clark, and, and they went from having first tender acceptance in the you know, 80% range to 98%. That means they're getting the carriers they want every time, which is a great situation. Okay? So when we look at... at, at um, the sustainability aspect of that, that's one piece. The second piece is, you know, when a plan comes, a supply plan comes out of a a planning system to to replenish all the warehouses around the the network, that supply plan doesn't really consider any of the factors associated with the capacities. So what happens? You try and ship more loads out of an origin than it can physically do, okay? Okay ignores nor that constraint. You're trying to push more loads into a um, receiving facility than it can physically do. What happens in both those cases from a sustainability perspective? Well, you got trucks sitting out in the, in the yard idling, right? Or you've got reefer trailers waiting you know, idling with the, with the chiller on. You've got a number of other aspects that don't really show up unless the carrier sends a detention bill to the to the, the shipper and says, hey um, you detain my 15 trucks two days and literally we, I've seen this unfortunately we had a client that got completely cut off by its carrier because they had so many intermodal trailers that were waiting to be unloaded simply because they'd buried that location. They couldn't unload them all. and of course there's another downside to that when you can't unload all the, the product that you you need, then you've got a product in the trailer that, that unfortunately should have been shipped to a major customer, and they come back to you and say, well, you didn't ship this in full, uh, therefore you um, are going to get fined. So <clears throat> there are a lot of things that, that play out here, but none's directly put down to the, the fact that the supply plan was so erratic that you couldn't manage it. But the, the bigger question is how do you how do you fix that supply plan? You can't fix one lane at a time because it's like squeezing on a balloon, right? You squeeze here, it pushes out somewhere else. So you have to understand things as a network and understand all the components therein, and and, and that itself has distinct value. The second part of it is you do have to have constraints, and when you've got a constraint. It means you have to pull some things forward or push some things back. But overall, from a cost perspective, it drives costs down and significantly improves the performance of your carriers, okay? So all all good things going forward. For the bottom line, for the business and for customers, and you said
1: something else that's interesting to me um, when you're thinking about improving that first tender acceptance rate in in a world where hopefully we're seeing more and more alternative fuels or low-carbon shipping options pop up, you're still going to want a high acceptance rate for those carriers. And so this plays into you know, eventual downstream improvements and efficiencies and has an impact on, on those as well. You're absolutely correct. That's interesting. Well, tell me what's, what's next on the future. Is our fourth company in the works already or are there uh, some big things on the horizon for the current three?
0: You know, one of the big challenges we have is just going back to the the, the the real basics. And the real basic is we've done a pretty lousy job. I love this we. I've done a pretty lousy job at running companies to, and letting others know, hey, this is a real opportunity. This solves a problem that's real for you. It's real for the environment. How do we get more companies to adopt it, you know? We have traditionally gone after the the Proctors, Unilevers, Nestle's of the world and dealt with and worked with some of the biggest and best-run companies out there because, you know, the good thing about them is they get it, okay? They absolutely get it. Um, now we're starting to think about how do we get to that next tier of companies and the next tier of companies after that. And I say we've done a pretty poor job in being disciples of, hey, load optimization is just a damn good thing for everybody to do. That's an encouraging next step because
1: knowing all the impacts that that has, not only for profitability and customer satisfaction, and it's just good for the environment, it's good business. So I'm glad we can have you on the show to tell that message and hopefully find some more of those mid-tier, next-tier customers out there that want to start adopting some of those technologies. Uh, before we get to asking them where they can connect with you, I want to know, every guest that comes on the show gets this question posed to them. So in your world of efficiency and serial entrepreneurialism, is there a personal motivation in there for sustainability? And if so, what is it?
0: Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I'm a New Zealander. And anybody who's seen photographs of New Zealand know the beauty of the country, the wonderful situation in, in, the, in the back country, and being out there. And, and on a couple of occasions recently, uh, over a period of the last 20 years, I've been going and visiting an area called uh, the, the glacier land. There's two two glaciers there, fronts Joseph and Fox Glacier, and each time I go, there's less and less of them. Okay, used to be you could drive up to the frontal room and, and see this beautiful big uh, glacier, and, and now you, you have you, you damn near need binoculars to see the front. Okay, from from where you stopped, and it's. <laughs> Very disturbing. My wife flew over it the other day. Um, I, I managed to get her up on it on the glacier for the first time. She'd tried multiple times, and the weather was bad. And she flew up on a helicopter, landed on the glacier, and, and and she said, "Well, you know, I remember being here ten years ago, and and we we were we were much further out, and now I can see it from the air." So, <coughs> personal mo- motivation, yeah. Second motivation is um, I live on a little farm, okay, and. What was the first thing that I did when I moved, even before I moved here, uh, before I built the house, I went out and, 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 I planted trees and my family was probably tired of me planting trees, but we planted lots and lots and lots of trees. It's, it's been a wonderful testament to us. It's great to see, but really it's not just the beauty. It's the thing. It, it is the fact that, that we're helping nature and, and, we love living in this kind of environment in Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to live. And I'm going to have to come
1: out. We'll do the next episode from the farm so we can, uh, you know, put some visuals for the listeners to that. But that's, um, that's an important value that you're sharing with, with our audience. And I hope that many of our listeners and I know that they do feel the same. And thank you for sharing some, just a few operational tidbits that they can take back and hopefully implement and not feel like they're getting bombarded with all of the carbon and all of the all fuel talk that I normally have so
0: thank you how can people reach out to you if they want to know more about any of your companies uh, quick email to M O O R E at t-wo.com or call me 615-791-0865 that's perfect we will uh, put all of those in the show notes as well and look forward to having you on again in the future thank you tyler Thanks, There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon
1: emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.